Questions can be asked at a later time. So, <laughs> A sermon's not a great, great opportunity to be asking questions like that, Matt, in case you didn't know. But. <laughs> um, so lately... Daryl has been doing a sermon, uh, has doing, been, been doing a sermon series on narratives. See, because as we go through life, we're fed narratives daily, aren't we? Like, that's just, a, that's just something that happens. Like, we are, narratives are, are just, in, in our life, we, we, people are telling us stories. Um, life is telling us stories about ourselves. Perhaps when you were growing up in school, you may have heard uh, the narrative that one way or the other. Maybe you heard the narrative that you're a very smart person. Or maybe you were on the flip side and you heard the narrative growing up in school, you're not a very smart person. You may have heard the narrative that you're lovable. Or you may have heard the narrative growing up, no, you're not lovable. Even as an adult, we're fed narratives as well. And oftentimes, uh, we view those narratives through the lens of what we grew up in, don't we? I mean, that's how we view the narratives. That's how one thing that, that, that might not be a big deal for one person caused someone else to crash down, to, to have a breakdown. Because we view them through the lens of the narratives that we grew up in. If you grew up thinking you were a failure then you're going to be much more susceptible to hearing the narrative that you're still a failure. One narrative that is easy to adopt from the time you're a small child into adulthood is that love is conditional. Right? Because oftentimes in this life, love is conditional, right? The reason that we adopt this is, is, is because that's, that's what oftentimes people, uh, excuse me, tripping over my words here, but that, but that is the, the reality with a lot of people, is that people are like, I will love you if you do this, or I will love you if you do that. You may have a a significant other who means the world to you and you mean the world to them, there seems to be such a strong mutual love and then you do something and they don't, that they don't like or you find something, something out or they find something out about you that they don't like and they leave. Is that, that happens, right? That happens in this life. The same thing can happen with a friend. Have you ever felt betrayed by a friend before? I'm the parent of a two-year-old girl, and I love that little girl so, so much. And truthfully, there is nothing that she could ever do that would cause me not to love her. But she does do things that disappoint me sometimes. Now, at this stage, it's silly things like she hits me when she's upset or... Um, you know, it's, 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 it's not huge issues. But as, as, as children get older, they, they can become more serious things that, that disappoint us, the decisions that they make, right? But as parents, we would never question our love for our children. Is that right? Now, I 
I pray to God that I convey this to her well and that as she grows up, I continue to convey this to my daughter, that, her, that my love for her is unconditional. Because as well-meaning parents, sometimes we can put things on our kids that, they, that we never intended. And so many people pick up this idea, this narrative from their parents that love is conditional, that it's conditional on them doing the right things. It's so easy to pick that up. The first, uh, the first sermon I ever preached here, by the way, it was, um, I, I, was, I was in high school, um, and the, we were doing a, a youth takeover day, which meant that the, the youth were doing everything in the service. So, youth, maybe we should do that again. Just saying. <laughs> but um, they asked... Me, along with uh, one, other, um, one other person in the youth group, to, um, to deliver the message. We each delivered like, a, delivered like a short message. I guess they didn't trust either one of us to do a full message, so <laughs> we just did a short And um, so, so anyway, and, and I stood up. I, I stood up there, and the first thing I said was, Death comes unexpectedly! Now, if you don't know, this was actually a quote from a movie that was released in 1960 called Pollyanna. I don't know if anybody, anybody ever seen that movie? Yeah? Okay. Well, um, it's, it was actually, so, it's a movie I'd seen, and actually, that, that had nothing to do with my sermon that day, and, and, and for some reason, they've asked me to preach um, again, you know, past that day. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. It blows my mind, but, you know. <laughs> but um, it had nothing to do with my sermon that day. I'd just seen it, that movie as a kid and thought it would be funny to start off the sermon like that. So I, so, so I did it. And, um, so anyway. Um, <laughs> but in this particular movie, one of the characters was the pastor of a local church. Now, the first time you see him, that's the first line of the sermon that he preaches to the congregation. He gets up, and that's the first thing he says. And then he, he, he preaches this message of judgment, the idea that God's going to get you if you don't straighten up and fly right. Hang on. My notes seem to be out of order. Give me one second. <laughs> Cut off the top of my notes here. One second. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> it's like I'm going to have to use my notes for my laptop today. <laughs> yes, they do. Okay. Got it. All right. Just leave this here just in case. <laughs> but I believe that when you're filled 
with the Holy Spirit. And you really get a hold of God's love for you that you can't help but change. See, we spend a lot of time working on changing ourselves, but ultimately, if we let his love penetrate our hearts, we are changed from the inside out. And this preacher from this movie, you see, and I'm going to bring him up again later on, but, but there, there's, there's a powerful transformation that happens. And it happens through that, through God's love. But I want to... so. We're talking about conditional versus unconditional love. There's a picture of that preacher, by the way, from the movie. So, <laughs> looks like someone who would preach condemnation, doesn't it? <laughs> Just that look on his face. Anyway, so I want to start. I want to. I want to read a scripture. Um, so you're welcome to look at that up here. If you follow follow along in your Bible if you want. I'll have all the scriptures up here though too. But um, in uh, in Romans chapter eight. Verse 38, it says, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord, except for our sin. Oh, that, that, that part's not there. No, it has to be there, right? We all know that, that our sin separates us from God's love, right? It has to say that. But that's not what it says. It says nothing can separate us from God's love. Ladies and gentlemen, that right there is, is one of the most powerful concepts that you can ever grab a hold of. It says that nothing can separate us from God's love. Sin separating us from God's love is a lie from the enemy. God's love for you and God's love for me never changes. It's unconditional. Nothing in all of creation can ever separate us from it. So while the world teaches us the narrative that love is conditional, God comes in and wants you to know that no matter what you do, no matter what decisions you make in your life, His love for you is completely unconditional. If you ever doubt your value, you need to come back to this. Because you are lovable. Because the God who created you says you are. Now at this point, I could just call the worship team up. I could call this sermon done. Because if you really, really grasp that, if you grasp that concept then your life will already start to transform. I know that generally you wait until the end to throw out the most important point of your sermon. It's kind of like, here's the, here's the crux of it all right here, like your, 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 the, the, the climax of your whole sermon, but I just threw it out right there. So if you walk away with nothing else, walk away knowing that no matter what you do, God's love stays the same in your life. 
think often we imagine a God that's just waiting with a baseball bat, just waiting for us to make a mistake. It's like, oh, there it is. Bam! Got him. I used to work at the community college tutoring math. And um, uh, I've, to- I've told this story before because I, I just, uh, I-, I think it's a very interesting portrayal of, of how people, people view, view God. And so, um, but, but there was this lady that I, she came in very, a couple times a week usually for, for some tutoring and I'd help her out and, um, and, and she wasn't there for a couple weeks. And she came in one day and was like, yeah, you know, I've been gone for, for a while. I've been actually de- battling vertigo. And she said something very interesting about the treatment. She said the doctor would actually put her on her side and actually start beating her head to realign something um, that, that was supposedly out of place. And, and, and then she, she made a very interesting statement. She said that as she said, I'm a religious person, as the doctor was doing this, I just kept imagining that it was the Heavenly Father saying that, you shouldn't have done that, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> now... She said it in a, in, in a somewhat joking way, but, but it really made me contemplate how she views God. See, that, that's a very judgmental God right there, isn't it? It's not the God of unconditional love that I believe the Bible speaks of, and, and, and I'm, I'm sure that's going to affect the way she lives. And you know what? You know what makes this even more amazing about, about our God? Is that it's, God doesn't just sit in heaven waiting for us to come to him and receive his love. So okay so, so, okay, so he's not the God with the baseball bat, but he's also not the God just sitting there waiting. All right, well, whenever you're ready, come to me. He pursues us. That's the kind of love, unconditional love that he has, is that he pursues us. Luke chapter 15, we see the, the parable of the prodigal son. Let's, let's read through that. So it says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. I'm sorry, this isn't the par- prodigal son. I'm getting to that in a minute. But. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and get to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he, find, and when he found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I've found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angel when even one sinner repents. Doesn't that paint an amazing picture of the God we serve? He isn't an idle God. 
He is pursuing us because he passionately loves us. And that's amazing. Then let's continue. And this, here's the prodigal son. In verse 11, it says, To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with compassion, with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to, his, said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was angry and wouldn't go. Struggling here. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you, kill, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed with me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. I would say that this is probably my favorite parable. In different areas of my life, I feel that I can identify with different characters. I can identify with the younger son needing redemption. I can identify with, with the older son who stayed home, and, and yet from his reaction, you can tell he was very distant from the love of his father. 
In reality, both of these characters need to experience the Father's love. If you want a picture of what God's love looks like, this right here, this parable right here is a great place to start. For the disrespect that the younger son uh, made to his father by asking for his inheritance, right at the beginning he's, he, he said, uh, give, give me all that, give me what my inheritance is. Essentially, father, you're dead to me. All, uh, all the, the only good that you have to me right now is the inheritance. That's what he was telling his father, you're dead to me. In that day and age, the father could have taken the son out back and stoned him to death. And then he actually dared to come back and request to become a servant of his father. The father would have had every right to turn up his nose and tell him to go back to the pigs. And in fact, if he'd accepted him back as a servant, that would have been considered extremely generous of the father to actually take him back as a servant. But he doesn't do either of those things, does he? He sees him from a far ways off, and he runs to him. He runs towards his son, and he embraces him. The son had this whole speech about how, I'm not worthy to be called your son, but the father doesn't even let him finish that speech. He stops in midway, and and, and, and he puts a ring on his finger. He puts a cloak on his back. He puts sandals on his feet. See, all of those things represent sonship. The fact that he was his son. The father, by doing these things, is reinstating him as his son. And that's what he wants to do for you. No matter what you've done, what you haven't done in your life, he is running towards you, longing to reinstate you as his son or his daughter. So that's the heart of God. And then again, even in the older son, we see this huge disconnect between him and the father. Refusing to come into the party, that right there was also a major sign of disrespect. He he speaks words of bitterness towards his father. And yet the father doesn't even respond to the bitterness in his son. He doesn't, he doesn't react to that. Instead, he speaks these words. He says, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. Once again, nothing but love, nothing but acceptance. This is what God's love looks like. It's never one of condemnation. It's always drawing you in and drawing me in to relationship with him. His agenda? To have relationship with you. Let that sink in right now. He's not drawing you in so that you can then go out and do his bidding. That's a servant. He's drawing you in because he wants relationship with you. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. See, this story right here, this, this is unlike any love story that you've ever heard. We were enemies of God. 
yet he was still pursuing us. We were doing everything. We were going completely against what God stood for. And yet he was still pursuing us. Once again, his love has absolutely nothing to do with your actions. You want the ultimate picture of what this love looks like? It's right there. It's Jesus on the cross. He loved you so much and was pursuing you so hard that he was willing to die the horrible death on the cross for you. So if you get nothing else from this sermon, understand that God is pursuing you with an unconditional love that doesn't depend on your actions. Because if you get that, then your life will begin to change because God's love transforms us. In the, uh, the a Bible, there's a study called Experiencing God that uh, we've gone through in different uh, um, connect groups here, here at church. Uh, so some of you have probably gone through it, through it some of you haven't. But um, there's a... Henry Blackaby is the one who wrote it, and, and, and he makes this statement. He says, people, people who struggle to spend time with God don't have a scheduling problem. They have a love problem. I think that's a powerful statement because, you know, his point there is that if you really love God, his love compels you to spend time with him. And, and, and I believe that this concept, this concept spreads beyond just spending time with him. I think it spreads to other issues as well. If you struggle with alcohol addiction, you don't have an alcohol problem. You have a love problem. If you struggle with being reliable, you don't have a reliability problem, you have a love problem. If you struggle with lust, you don't have a lust problem, you have a love problem. Everything boils down to your love relationship with Jesus. John 14, chapter 15 says, If you love me, obey my commands. Now, if you have a study Bible of some sort, you'll probably have an asterisk or, or a letter by the word keep, like I left it there. Usually I cut those out because I think it looks tacky when, when I'm showing it to you, but I kept it there on purpose today. And if you follow that down, you're going to see something that says, in you text reads, you will keep. Now let's look at how that changes, changes how we read that. If you love me, you will obey my commands, or keep is in different, different versions. You will keep or you will obey my commands. That completely changes the meaning of this statement. The first way indicates, if you love me, uh, indicates that if I say that I love God, I need to try to follow His commands. The second way indicates that I love God, and so my natural reaction will be to obey His commands. You see the difference there? So rather than stressing obeying God, let's work at the root issue. Let's work at our love for God and allow our actions to be transformed. It says in the Bible that we, that we love God because He first loved us. Essentially, we can't love God unless we first accept His love for us. So how do we work on our love for God? I would say allow Him to love 
you. I'll speak about that in just a minute, but what I'm submitting to you right now is that the sin issues in our lives boil down to one thing. There's an area in your life that you haven't fully accepted God's love. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says, But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point, us, can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness toward us as shown in all He has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. It says there that, that God's love made us alive. In John chapter 21, uh, we see a beautiful picture of of Jesus' love where he asked Peter three times if he loved him. Each time, Peter answered that, yes, he loved him. At the end of that, Jesus said, follow me. See, prior to this, Peter had denied Jesus three times when Jesus was on trial uh, before, before his death. And can you imagine the guilt that Peter must have felt? And yet when Jesus sees him, he doesn't speak about that. He doesn't make him feel guilty. He doesn't say, hey, Peter, why'd you deny me, bro? No. Instead, what he does is he deals with the root issue. Love. And through that love and forgiveness that Jesus offered to Peter... Peter then went on to live a life completely sold out to him. Through God's love, he is transforming us to be like Jesus. Specifically, we want to love like Jesus loved. Our statement here, loving God and loving people, impossible, it's impossible to work out unless we understand the depths of his love for us first. And as his love fills us up, our natural reaction will be to go out and love people. So at this point, you might be thinking, great, so I understand there may be these love issues in my life. But what am I supposed to do about that? That's a bit of a tricky question. There's a, a book called The Return of the Prodigal Son, and in that book he says, Now I wonder whether I have sufficiently realized that, that during all this time, God has been trying to find me, to know me, and to love me. The question is not how am I to find God, but how am I to let myself be found by him? The question is not, how am I to know God, but how am I to let myself be known by God? And finally, the question is not, how am I to love God, but how am I to let myself be loved by God? 
God is looking into the distance for me, trying to find me, and longing to bring me home. And that that brings up a critical question. How am I to let myself be loved by God? And that's a question we're all going to have to wrestle with, ultimately. That's something that you're going to need to go to, go, go to God with, but I can leave you with some things that I found on my journey. See, for years, I struggled with this. I, I always viewed God as pleased with me when I'm doing the right thing and disappointed we, with me when I'm not. The view of, uh, of God, um, this, and this view of God left me feeling defeated and oftentimes like a failure. I very much accepted God's love, but I viewed it under the narrative of being conditional, not unconditional. Now, if you'd asked me if God's love was unconditional, I had all the right answers. I, I, would, I, 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 knew, that he, I knew that it was. In my head, I knew that God's love was unconditional. But in my heart, I didn't. And God's taken me on a journey to understand his unconditional love in my life. I'm still on that journey to an extent, uh, but I don't know that you ever completely get off that journey. But, um, but, but God's taken me such a long way, so I want to share you just a, just a few things that he's shown me. First of all, the reason why I've spent so much of the sermon talking about God's unconditional love is that I believe that's, that's the first step right there. You need to understand that God's love is completely unconditional. Nothing you can do, nothing you cannot do, will ever separate you from his love. Let that into your spirit, not, not just your head, but let that into your spirit. The next, spend time talking to him. Let me tell you, it's best to be honest with God, especially since he already knows everything about you. But if you don't feel like he loves you unconditionally, Tell him that. If you feel like life's circumstances are unfair, tell him. If you're struggling with something, tell him that. If you're angry at him, tell him. This allows God to come in and reveal his love to you. God's got big shoulders. He can take it. Can I have the worship team come forward? Then finally, you need to shift your heart to a place where you can receive his love. One prayer that I prayed every day for months, I still prayed occasionally, is, God, I give you permission to love me. Now, some people may view this as as, as somewhat presumptuous. God doesn't need my permission for anything. But the truth is, God is the perfect gentleman. He won't come in unless we allow him to. So pray that prayer. Read through the parable of the prodigal son. Identify with those characters. Let God take you to other passages in the Bible to to show you how much he loves you. Let me tell you something, and and this this goes against our culture. You are extremely valuable, and it has absolutely nothing to do with the things that you do. It has everything to do with who loves you. You are valuable because God loves you. That is the truth. 
we're gonna we're gonna sing a song that that really goes um, really goes with what I just just spoke on, and then um then I'll, I'll come up and, and, and close this up. But um, um, but before we do that, though, I would like to go ahead and uh, take up the offering. So, Lord, I just pray a blessing over this offering. Um, would you multiply it and, and help and, and help us to use it to further your kingdom? And um, you can go ahead and put in your connect cards as well. So, um, yeah, go ahead, Don.